what will your future look like? The job you do today could be different than the jobs of tomorrow. Some see this as a challenge. At UCF, we see opportunity. A chance for you to grow your knowledge and strengthen your skills from anywhere life might take you. With in-demand degree programs and resources for your success, UCF Online can help you prepare for the future and all the possibilities that come with it. From the University of Central Florida Center for Distributed Learning, I am Tom Cavanaugh. And I am Kelvin Thompson. And you are listening to TopCast, the teaching online podcast. Woo! Kelvin. Yeah, that's, a, that's a that's a non-mystery woo. You're the you're the mystery woo today. <laughs> that's not a mystery. Well, it's a mystery that I'm you know still here. But, <laughs> and uh, might I say again this year, Tom, Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Dr. Thompson. Uh, we are turning the page into uh, <laughs> 2021, which I think it's probably a bit of a cliche at this point. But we're all hoping's better than 2020. Aren't we, though? Aren't we, though? I'm still haunted uh, from that uh, Top Cast and Friends holiday special, the retrospective of, like, we were so happy at the beginning of 2020. (laughs) (laughs) Look at these poor, naive rubes just strolling (laughs) gleefully right towards the edge of the cliff that everybody else can see that we can't see. That's right. So, you know, I'm jaded this this new year. Like, I'm cautiously, like, yeah, we'll see. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I said stuff like, I remember saying at one point that... uh, I think we were still talking about it being in Wuhan, yes. and um, and you yeah. know I think it was our, you know our colleague Bai Win's family, yes. and I was asking her about how it was going yep. for them, and and they were all locked up and in quarantine, and we were all in shock about that, and it's like wow, yeah. well, this probably little won't do you be, know, well it won't be resolved by the time this airs, right, in a couple yeah. of weeks. Can you imagine? It's going to go on for another two weeks. Uh. Yeah, <laughs> lo and behold, here we are. Gosh, January 2021. Yeah, what does that what does that make it? Probably like forty uh, something weeks. <laughs> you know, if you're going to count in weeks, I stopped counting in weeks a long time ago. Yeah, yeah, it's like a baby. How many weeks old is our lockdown? Yeah, um, yeah, too many. <laughs> it's definitely a terrible toddler of sorts. At this point. Yes, that's right. All right. But I heard you slurping. I heard a little yeah. slurp, a, d- a dulcet gurgle of sorts. Ooh, a dulcet gurgle of sorts. Yes, indeed. Hope you all, you know, bought your uh, holiday album from back at the <laughs> Top Guest and Friends holiday special. Yeah, yeah, I hope I hope everybody enjoyed that. Uh, that was a bit of a departure for us. That's right. They do call it holiday special. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. a special. Not a we did have day. a little palate cleanser uh, with with our interview with Luke in between that and this. That's but, true. Uh, That's right. Yeah. So you're wondering uh, what it is you're drinking? I am wondering what it is I am drinking. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, this Tom is uh, a blend called Foundation from Reanimator Coffee Roasters in Philadelphia, PA. The roasters say that they've carefully constructed this blend to be a good everyday coffee. It was the first blend that the roasters made, so that was their foundation, hence the name. It's kind of interesting as a blend because I'm intrigued by this. It's somewhat seasonal. Uh, while about 60% of the coffee is always sourced from Brazil, and they, they say they always add a bit of Ethiopia in there, the remainder is made up of different coffees at different times of the year. So I thought this would be a good choice for today's episode because we're dealing with some fundamental or foundational principles that can guide us in our ever-changing 
times. So how's the coffee and how's the connection to today's episode? Coffee's good. I like it. You do make a strong cup of coffee, Kelvin Thompson, <laughs> um, but that's okay. I like yeah. it. Um, it'll perk me up for the rest of the afternoon. I'll get <laughs> all my emails done extra fast. Um, no, it's good. I like it. You know, it's funny for somebody who claims to not be a, a blend, coffee uh-huh. blend fan, uh-huh. You've been bringing quite a few lately to the to the top cast. Yeah, I, 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 haven't, I haven't counted uh, more than I used to. Um, I think that we, I hope, still predominate with single origins. But yes, uh, I, a few high quality blends have crossed my path uh, in um, during the last year, and so I've I've brought them in, you know, as a as an opportunity for connection and so forth. Mm-hmm. And, and some well, of them are pretty. This good. one's pretty high quality. I like it, and. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as the uh, the connection goes, um, uh, you you sort of laid it out for me there, so I don't really have to guess. Um, and I I think I think it's a it's a fine it's a fine connection. It's fine. It's, it's all right. Fine. It's, it's all right. Yeah. No other no other comment. We'll just <laughs> as, as we get into the episode, people figure it out for themselves. It'll be all right. You know? No, I think it's good. Yeah, because yeah. you you, um, you as you said, we're we're going to be talking about kind of foundational principles and how that mm-hmm. should guide some of the the work that we mm-hmm. do and the decisions that we make um, mm-hmm. and uh, and that's 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 how you describe the coffee mm-hmm. foundational mm-hmm. yeah foundation blend so not bad huh not bad at all so um, we are in a new year right happy new year and um, it's probably worth noting that uh, as of at least this recording mm. The COVID-19 global pandemic uh, is still underway. So we are recording this in full disclosure prior to January 1st. Mm -hmm. Um, (gasps) Not that much prior. So I think that we can safely predict (laughs) that by the time you are listening to this, not much has changed. No, Um, probably not. So... Although the COVID pandemic, we're still dealing with it on a daily basis as institutions. We're, we've decided not to label these necessarily as field reports anymore. Uh, mm-hmm. We're kind of stepping away from that field report label. Even though I think, we, you know, we both anticipate continuing uh, to address, you know, different aspects of remote teaching or other COVID responses related to digital teaching and learning um, during these, these first of the month episodes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, um, and uh, we'll continue with our practice of having guest interviews on our third Monday episodes. Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess to state the obvious, right, uh, one, one positive holdover from 2020. Oh, I want to hear a positive thing about yeah, 2020, Tom. Give it to us. <laughs> is uh, we've decided to continue with our, yeah. our twice-monthly schedule release. Um, that was an experiment mm-hmm. and. um at least for now, uh, this experiment no more. It's become yeah. sort of instantiated as part of top, top cast present uh, practice, I should yeah. say. Yeah, no, that's good. Yeah, yeah. So, so noted. So noted. Um, so specifically, as you said, foundational principles. In this episode, we're going to give some thoughtful consideration to how specific technologies can help or hinder various aspects of the teaching and learning process. This is particularly important in times of change when new technology platforms spring up quickly. And I'm going to just offer up one of my Kelvinisms, right? One of, one of Kelvin's general principles. And uh, you, can, you can pick it apart or debate it, whatever. But then uh, the episode's going to go a whole different direction, uh, different direction if you do too much of that. But uh, that principle that I've found to be useful is this. Make it, we should, make it easy 
to do the right thing. We should make it easy for faculty, for students, for whomever. We should make it easy for them to do the right thing. So in this case, make it easy for faculty to do the right thing through our technology adoption. Uh, make it easy for students to do the right thing. Uh, so one way of examining critically the tools available to us as online learning leaders is to consider what right thing those tools enable or prevent. So part of our job is to identify and promote right things from both, I would say, a strategic and a moral perspective. One, I'm curious what you think about that principle, and, and two, maybe we could talk about some use cases. Yeah, I think it's good. Um, and I, I've never articulated it like that before, but I certainly agree with it and have tried to live it. Uh, mm-hmm. And I, I think it's both the tool selection and the process around yeah. the use of that tool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you don't want to set barriers uh, to doing the right thing inadvertently, um, but you also you don't want to make things so loose that it becomes kind of a wild west where you don't have controls to encourage the right thing right. to be done. Um, we're talking kind of abstractly about it, which maybe makes it a little harder to to conceptualize what we're talking about. Maybe we should we should zero in on a couple of examples that might mm-hmm. concretize this concept yeah. of yours. Well, one that um, kind of <laughs> what put us on this path for this episode was you had brought up um, kind of a revisiting of online proctoring given uh, its prevalence during the COVID response era. So how does online proctoring play into this? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's one that I've been spending probably more time than I would have liked uh, uh, dealing with both uh, licensing, negotiating with vendors, and uh, purchase going through the purchasing and legal process, as well as getting faculty trained and dealing with student complaints and all of the other things around online proctoring, right? Yeah. Uh, and obviously, it's not me personally always doing right. all those things, but a lot of times it, it comes through me that I have to be traffic cop <laughs> to mm-hmm. dole out to the right people to respond to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's one I've been giving a lot of thought to lately. And um, I think all of us recognize the role that online proctoring plays, the important role it can play. But I think all of us in a utopian vision of the world would like to see a world where we didn't need it, right? Mm -hmm. Where we didn't have it at all. So how can we have this tool but encourage its responsible use? Not, um, like, for example, not... uh, uh, have it serve in place of more authentic kinds of assessments. Mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. still want to have the authentic kinds of assessments. And in, and in some cases, would, you would prefer that, right, instead of having proctoring. But proctoring is a means to an end, I think, to get us towards those kinds of assessments when the, when the time comes. Um, there, are, there are ways to set up the proctoring systems so that um, they can be configured uh, like how you set the dials and switches in the settings to enable or not enable certain kinds of behaviors, whether that's um, um, using AI or live proctoring versus not live proctoring, um, IP address checking, other kinds of things that um, that you can you can set up or not set up depending depending upon how it's used. Mm-hmm. So, from the standpoint of this principle. What right thing does online proctoring enable or what right thing does online proctoring prevent? Like, I I think one right thing is 
it seems like the there are at least during the pandemic response there are disciplines faculty and disciplines who previously resisted online teaching uh, because of their more traditional assessments and their concerns over say academic misconduct and kind of high stakes testing online proctoring is is something that makes it a little bit more greases the skids it makes it a little bit more palatable uh, for them to engage in whether we call it remote or online so that's in, in that sense online proctoring um, enables the right thing of actually engaging in online teaching and learning which I think we would agree is the right thing I hope um, would you agree with that yeah I think that that's been a, an interesting uh, uh, kind of silver lining to this to this whole remote teaching cloud that we've all had to sort of face um, that uh, that there have been positives that have come out one being that uh, departments disciplines that we haven't traditionally engaged with because they've been primarily face-to-face or resistant to online learning have been forced to confront that and one of the big objections that they've had has been the ability to ensure academic integrity and the kinds of tests that they give and I think they've seen now through the use of these technological platforms that they can assess Mm -hmm. how they want now, you and I might argue that there might be better ways of assessing, mm-hmm. but at least right now, how they want to assess, which is closed book exam, as if they were in a classroom somewhere, uh, they can do it. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I would say from a macro perspective, do the right thing uh, from a student's point of view is to you know, ensure that academic integrity is, mm-hmm. Is, mm-hmm. is being encouraged and, um, and rewarding the honest students by making sure that the dishonest students are are not able to kind of get away with with cheating. Um, mm-hmm. it, it values the degree a lot more if we can guarantee as much as we are able to the integrity of its of the assessment, the exam, and the, the ultimate final grade. Yeah. I agree with you though. I, I I think you said something along these lines at the, the beginning we started talking about this that online proctoring itself doesn't necessarily go far enough to help um, faculty transition to deeper or we might say more authentic forms of learning assessment and I think maybe before we've talked about um, more if there is such a thing more cheap proof assessments like the more authentic and, and deeper uh, you are the, the the less prone to kind of replicative uh, cheating there there is right um, I thought I might plug a couple things. We did talk about academic integrity online some time ago, um, back in episode 33. Can you remember that far back? Uh, Academic integrity online, addressing criticisms. And we talked a good bit about assessment types, the role of proctoring, academic integrity, and so forth. And there's some other uh, good podcast episodes uh, we'll put in the show notes. Uh, One is a recent one from our colleague Bonnie Stahoviak over at Teaching in Higher Ed. Uh, she interviewed Deandra Little in an episode called Authentic Assignments, and our colleagues from SUNY Oswego on the T for Teaching podcast uh, a couple of years ago now had an episode titled Assessment, where they interviewed David Eubanks, who I think is it still at Wake Forest. Uh, and those are some good backgrounder, uh, substantive ideas on assessment. Um, they do go a little bit deeper than, than is enabled by online proctoring. I might say um, also from a, maybe not necessarily about assessment, but just, you know, platforms and decisions mm-hmm. that encourage doing the right thing. Um, the use of a 
a single standard learning management system hmm. uh, is, is probably one of those, again, at a macro level. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure how many schools there are out there anymore that just have a free-for-all. Every college can have their own mm-hmm. um, LMS within a university. Uh, that's, I, I think that's, that's becoming more and more rare. There you still run multiple, across them sometimes, though, you right? You do. You do. It's true. I hear about it every once in a while. And I also mm-hmm. hear about different schools within maybe a system, like a university mm-hmm. system mm-hmm. or a college mm-hmm. system, using different mm-hmm. tools. But for the most part, having a single LMS encourages a certain level of consistency right. that allows you to support the faculty better, right. Right. support the students better, so that they don't have to relearn how to use the platform every time they, t- they log into a new class. That talk about cognitive load. Um, you want yeah. them learning the content, right? Not how to navigate every class that they're in. Um, yeah, that, that's exactly right. So I guess driving this this particular use case home um, on online proctoring, um, it's we could have kind of a an it's depend it depends conclusion, right? Uh, neither rejecting online proctoring nor naively thinking that online proctoring is enough is a viable option for online higher education. It's more of an it depends, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, it's nuanced. It, it, it really, yeah. It, it, it's so context specific that um, that there's no one size fits all, which is how some people like to frame proctoring. But um, yes, but if you're going to use it to your principle, use it responsibly to encourage the right kinds of of things that you want, the right values that you want for your for your institution. Mm-hmm. We have a couple of other use cases in our notes here. Um, why don't you pick one? We probably have time for one. Why don't you you pick? Take us down a rabbit trail. <laughs> All right. Um, let's. Uh, I don't know. How about how about a COVID related one? Mm-hmm. Um, video, mm-hmm. synchronous video. Uh, mm-hmm. So you and I are recording this on on Zoom right now, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and um, a lot of people have been teaching via Zoom and other tools like it uh, who had never done it before. And how can um, how can we use these kinds of synchronous video platforms that have been thrust into the core critical path of, of all of our institutions in a way that um, encourages faculty and students to do the right thing, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to to engage as opposed to lecture, um, uh, like like through the use of the, the tools inherent in it, whether it's the whiteboard or polling mm-hmm. or other kinds of tools um, that you can that you can bring in uh, or embed within an LMS or something like that, um, you know, how can you have them do the do the right thing? And I think you you had jotted some notes on that as well. Yeah, I mean, to me, I think two right things uh, come to mind pretty quickly. One, Echo is our last use case, right? Um, Synchronous video platforms arguably facilitate entree into, quote, online, unquote, for faculty and disciplines historically resistant to asynchronous approaches. You know, I can't really do this in an asynchronous way. Okay, so here you go. And then related to that is, uh, I think, you know, there's a provision of immediacy. Uh, Some real-time or near-real-time communication. And you already hinted at this. We do sometimes equate that, or at least some people equate that with, quote, engagement, unquote. Um, we could debate whether that's enough. But there, there has been a... That represents something. That, that real-time thing uh, is, a, is a kind of a right thing that we're enabling, and it allows some people to participate who wouldn't have otherwise disciplines, faculty, uh, and therefore their students. 
Um, it's been so important in this uh, remote instruction era. Yeah, and even remote meeting, right? Um, yeah, right. Uh, good grief. If we didn't have tools like this, <laughs> we wouldn't be we have, doing much. <laughs> no, I, I, we wouldn't have been able to have carried out the business of the university, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. let alone teach classes, yeah. uh, which is right. you know the core the core business of the university. Mm-hmm. Uh, but just the, all the ancillary stuff to support that, all of the, I mean, all day long we're meeting, uh, whether it's on Zoom or Teams or Skype or one of the million tools we have. Um, it, it's just necessary, right? And so yeah. how, can we, how can we encourage people to do the right thing? And so for me, um, the ability to see my colleagues, some mm-hmm. of whom I haven't physically put eyes on since March, yeah, of, right. you know, of, of 2020, it's, mm-hmm. That's a long time yeah. to work with people and never see them. Yeah. It's weird. Um, so video mm-hmm. has helped, um, yeah. although there, there are some colleagues that have not even turned their video on in all that time. Well, I see you now, and you come <laughs> in the office sometimes, so uh, I'm not ca- putting you into that category. I'm, I'm <laughs> bandwidth poor on a lot of days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but, I mean, I, they have their reasons, and I'm not criticizing that. It's just uh, I do think that there's something about the the there's some there's a right thing yeah. about being able to look yeah. at your colleagues while mm-hmm. you're having a conversation with them about it. There's a human element of it that that video at least allows you to approximate. Yeah, although in a in a teaching learning context, I mean, I guess this sort of parallels our online proctoring um, analysis a little bit from the standpoint of this right thing. Um, in a teaching learning context, just connecting technologically in real time isn't enough. It doesn't go far enough, right? Um, you know, you're tired of hearing me say this from my K-12 days. Telling isn't teaching and listening isn't learning. Um, it, you know, it, okay, fine. Uh, how many times are we going to hear faculty complain about uh, students not turning on their webcams or students, you know, feeling put upon and there's, you know, there's, there's um, arguments to be made on both sides and if you just wait for the technology to do its thing, I mean, back to your earlier comment when we started this episode, it's not just about the technology. It's also about processes, right, and and practices and uh, that idea that I think some of espouse, I don't know who it sources back to first, but that idea of inviting, faculty inviting students in, you know, not requiring but inviting and even saying, it means so much to me when I can see you and I don't want to I don't want to invade your privacy or whatever, but, you know, be appropriate. You know, then you hear faculty talking, well, oh, students in bed and, you know, and, you know, put some clothes on, would you? And, you know, all kinds of things. But, you know, just just humanizing that. Um, you, need, you need those kind of processes and parameters to make it more engaging, not just video being on. Yeah, and I think that, I think it's interdependent too, because as, as, I think you and I have talked about, I don't remember if we talked about it on the podcast or not, but um, synchronous video. more often. <laughs> yeah, we should just record our lives because it's so <laughs> vastly interesting, right? Um, synchronous video isn't going anywhere. Uh, no. When this thing's all over, I think that's one of the remaining echoes of the pandemic that, that synchronous video will be more ubiquitous than it was before. And, yeah. and so we better figure out how to use it well. Yeah. Right now, as much as I like Zoom, and I kind of like it. It just mm-hmm. works most of the time, and, mm-hmm. and it, it's very good at what it does. Mm-hmm. It's a meeting platform. Yeah, it's not a teaching platform. Right. And right. Um, we've been using this sort of square peg in a round hole since March, 
and we've just been making it work by pushing real hard to get it yeah, in. Right, um, right. And, and that's okay for a while. Mm-hmm. But there are, and this is probably a, a future episode as mm-hmm. things get a little more mature, but there are new products yeah. coming out that are optimized for the synchronous instructional space. Yep, yep. And uh, that'll be interesting because yep. that will further uh, encourage faculty and students to quote unquote do the right thing. How yep. to create engagement, how to do different kinds of yep. lessons, how to get people in groups working together, how do you assess. Yep. And, and like one of them I saw allows the f- student to turn on the video just for the faculty member. Mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. not for the rest of the class. So the faculty yeah. member can at least check in and make sure that you're paying attention yeah. or whatever. But, yeah. but if the student has issues or is embarrassed mm-hmm. about you know, their circumstances yeah. or whatever the reason is that they have their video off, it doesn't yeah. have to be exposed to the rest of the class. Yeah. Uh, and I thought that's an interesting idea. Mm-hmm. So, I'm, anyway. I'm, I'm right there with you. I think both of those things are important, right? One, the emergence and codification of what we might call good practices in synchronous online teaching and learning, and then to what extent can emerging platforms make it easier to do those right things. I think both of those things are very, very important. Yeah. yeah. Well, the coffee's dwindling. The hourglass is uh, almost empty. Shall I take a, a stab at kind of landing the plane? Please do. You have the con, Dr. All Thompson. Right. Well, uh, I would say with new technology platforms emerging regularly, and especially in times of change like those we're still living through, uh, we're getting you know new technologies popping up all the time, it's important that principles guide our adoption decisions. Not just circumstance, but principles that are more timeless. And these principles, I would say, must center on how students and faculty are affected. There might be institutional or, or policy considerations as well, but they must center on how students and faculty are affected. Would you agree with that? I would agree with that. Um, yeah, absolutely. So let's all try to do a little bit better every day and encourage our, our I'll, you know, I'll paraphrase you, something you say all the time, and then yeah. we'll, uh, we'll encourage all of our colleagues to do the same. Mm-hmm. So um, maybe you would indulge me in a little a post-holiday plug. Plug away. So, dear listener, would you please uh, consider potentially sharing uh, TopCast with with your colleagues? Mm. You could maybe email them mm-hmm. or text them a link. Uh, maybe buy a uh, some time on a skywriting plane over the beach <laughs> or at the lake, um, and you could share an episode that you think they might value. Or you could even invite colleagues to listen to an episode and then discuss it together, like a mm-hmm. mini version of a book discussion group. Mm-hmm. We have heard of people um, using TopCast yeah. in in professional development groups, yeah. like a weekly kind of or a monthly kind of uh, discussion group amongst colleagues. And uh, I'm thrilled when I hear that kind of yeah, stuff. So for sure. yeah, if, uh, if, if you like this and you think that others might like it, then, um, then please do share. The more the merrier. All right. So uh, thank you for the coffee, Kelvin. It was Mm -hmm. delicious and foundational and for the conversation, (laughs) as always. Until next time, for TopCast, I'm Tom. I'm Kelvin. See you.